Greetings, John McKenna, So Podcast. Today we're talking advocacy and counselling, in particular for people with disabilities and their families. I've got two amazing guests on my show today, Mary Mallet, Chief Executive Officer of Disability Advocacy Network Australia, and Cathy Kiesman, President of Blue Knot Foundation. Welcome both. I'm going to start with you, Mary, if you'd like to perhaps introduce yourself formally. Hi, John. Yes, I'm the CEO of uh, DANA, and that's the uh, abbreviation for Disability Advocacy Network Australia, and we're the national peak body in Australia for the independent disability advocacy organisations. So those organisations are are all over the country, and DANA is the, the peak that is the national voice for the issues that uh, that come up through those advocacy organisations. Cathy. Thanks, John. My name's Cathy Kesselman. I'm president of Blue Knot Foundation with the National Centre of Excellence uh, for Complex Trauma, and we operate the National Counselling Referral Service for people with disability who've experienced violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation. You know, very grateful to be here and particularly with Mary to discuss this really critical topic. It is critical. And I would like to remind the audience if there are any parts of this conversation that may trigger a concern emotionally about trauma, let's remind everybody that some great organisations such as Blue Knot, Lifeline and Beyond Blue, if you felt like you need to reach out to those people after listening to this episode, that's always important to know of that resource. I'd like to... Just remind everybody that we are going to be covering the following issues. It's not going to be a question Q&A. It's going to be a conversation. So we're going to be talking about the value of counselling and advocacy for people with disabilities and their families. We're going to delve into what is the National Counselling Referral Service and, more importantly, how does it work? What could people with disabilities expect when receiving counselling and also advocacy? And what are some of the benefits from counselling and advocacy? Mary, I might start with you in relation to, in Australia, we have the Disability Royal Commission, and that's basically an inquiry. I might get you to expand on that, but this is, I guess, why we have this conversation where we're talking about the value around advocacy and counselling. Yeah, thanks, John. Yes, the, the, our conversation today really is in, in the context of the Disability Royal Commission that's happening in Australia. And... The, these royal commissions uh, are a, ver- a particular type of inquiry. Royal commissions happen every now and again when when a government believes that there's an issue that's so important that they should have a special inquiry into it, and so they will create a royal commission. So it, it has its own. Royal commissions have their own legislation. They are they are independent of government. So there are commissioners that are given the task of doing this, there are the commissioners include people with legal expertise and then others who are from broadly within the disability sector, including uh, some commissioners with disability. And those commissioners are tasked, in this case, in this Disability Royal Commission, it's a three-year commission, to investigate a really broad list of issues, really. So the commission has a terms of reference and those that terms of reference include all of the issues that the commission is looking into. So it's it's a, this royal commission is it's called for short it's called the disability royal commission, 
but it's it's got a longer name and it is the commission that's looking into violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation of people with disability. And, and there's quite a long history to the commission being set up. So there's been concerns in Australia by people with disability and their families and advocates and representative organisations for many years uh, about the history of the violence and abuse that people with disability have experienced. And so there's been, there was a Senate inquiry in 2015, which pulled together a a whole lot of this uh, information and then advocacy by organisations and and individuals persuaded government eventually that, that there should be a Royal Commission. So that's how it came about. And now, and then there were support services set up um, which is what we're talking about today, the the, the advocacy and counselling that was set up and is funded by government, by the Department of Social Services, to support the the people with disability as they deal with the work of the Commission. I might jump in and just mention the Disability Royal Commission, as you said, you've described really well, and it's there to hear complaints. But I'm also aware with my networks as a person with a disability, you really got to think hard about before going there as far as what are you trying to achieve. I think, and I'll say that in a positive way, sometimes people want to share concerns they've got and at a systemic level they want the world to be a better place. I think that's great. This is where I believe talking to an advocate or a counsellor and having that initial conversation beforehand to really agree on the purpose before going down that journey. Cathy, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, look, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is great that we have a Disability Royal Commission, but I think deciding whether to put in a submission, have a private session, or if you're going to be involved in a public hearing, requires a lot of thought and consideration because what it means for people is often revisiting their own experiences, either past or current or ongoing, of various forms of trauma. And obviously that's incredibly emotionally challenging because as human beings uh, we often try and shut away our trauma experiences and not go there and, you know, to some degree get on with it. But this commission is asking people to drill in to the detail of what's happened to them and that's why support through counselling and advocacy is just so critical because it requires a lot of careful consideration. It takes a lot of courage to do this and it's not for everyone. And certainly our National Council Counselling Referral Service is there with counsellors who are experienced trauma counsellors. So they're there to hear, to listen, to deeply listen, to support people to try and make sense of both where they are in the present, what's, you know, what's happened to them, but whether they really do want to go down this path of engaging with the Commission or what other supports they need or, and I'll I'll, uh, refer on to Mary here, what advocacy service can do in helping to support them through that process of going to, to provide a submission. Before we go to Mary, the word trauma We know what it is. It's something that's impacted on your life. And remembering it could have happened many, many years ago and all of a sudden there's been something that's saying that's like triggered a trauma that happened a long time ago. 
So if we can, when you respond, Mary, you'd be interested in your reflecting or weaving that into the conversation about whether it be surgery as a person with a disability that's had surgery with a bad doctor, it was an incident in an institution from a carer. There are so many types of trauma that you think you're travelling really along well and then you go and see something on TV or you meet someone and something comes up and go bang and hits you on the head. Oh, my God, I'm feeling really bad now because I've just remembered what happened many years ago. So, Mary, looking through the advocacy lens, what are your thoughts? Yeah, actually, what given that that what you've just mentioned about trauma, I'd like to go take you straight back to Kathy to respond a little bit about the trauma and then come back to advocacy because I'd, I'd like to follow that train of thought about people's experience of trauma and re-experiencing it. Yep. Yeah, and and certainly the sort of trauma we're we're talking about here is what we call interpersonal trauma. So it's trauma between human beings. And we know that it's often not just a single incident. It's often happened over a long period of time. It's often there are different forms of trauma that people may experience through their lives. And we know that the effects of that can accumulate over time. And we also know that many people have struggled to have their experiences of trauma acknowledged and especially the effects of what it's meant to their lives acknowledged. And, I mean, that's why this Royal Commission is so important. But, you know, I think we need to understand that this sort of trauma uh, is often repeated and it's often ongoing and it often has very serious impacts. But I also am very anxious to say that with this right support, over time, people can and do heal from the impacts of the trauma. Um, and that's why, you know, counselling support, emotional support and different strategies to help people manage uh, the effects. And particularly you were just asking me a question about trauma coming back to you. And, yes, we can all have triggers, something that is maybe not even a conscious trigger but something that is reminiscent from a situation we've been in the past. It may be uh, something that stimulates our senses, a smell or, or a sound, and can throw us back into a place from before. And when we're thrown back into a time of trauma, it can often come with very, very strong emotions. With the fear of the original trauma, we can become very agitated and distressed we can also sh be shut down and withdrawn. And it's very, very important uh, for us all to understand these are biological responses to trauma. And, you know, we certainly find that people calling our line, when we can start to explain to them and work with them to understand what's going on for them and that these are normal responses to very abnormal experiences that no one should ever have to experience, that can actually start to be, you know, an element of the healing process. Thanks, Cathy. I'll, I'll bring it back to the advocacy now. So it, there's this dual role that the counselling services and the advocates are playing and you could characterise it, I suppose, fairly simplistically, which that the advocates are doing the... Uh, I don't know, this, the, the doing work <laughs> and the counsellors <laughs> doing the doing work. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as simple as that or as black and white as that. But, but yeah. the, 
the way the tasks are sort of divided between what the advocates um, are funded to do and uh, is that the advocates job is to is is quite a practical one of helping people to get their submissions in to the royal commission or helping people to think about whether they want to put a submission in so people have have been coming to the advocacy organizations to uh, to talk about things that have happened to them in the past and some people have uh, some people are quite clear that they definitely want to ta- make a submission tell their story really be heard by the royal commission they want to they want to talk about the the bad things that have happened to them in the past and as john as you mentioned earlier they want to they, their motivation is to make sure that that doesn't happen to somebody else that's that's the thing that's driving people really mm. but but for some people, especially if they've if they've experienced a whole lot of things over many years, that's not necessarily it's not in their head in a neat chronological sort of package that they can say this happened to me in 1992, and this that it's not like that. It's a sort of a jumble, a tangled, woven jumble of things in their head, and then they have to be able to get all of that out. And then what the advocates do is they'll meet with them, and it might be two, three, four, five, a number of times so that the person can find that that thread through their story and the advocates help them do that and and help them frame it, I suppose, in a way that uh, that then makes sense to the Royal Commission. Now, the, the, the people in the Royal Commission will, of course, you know, it, it doesn't ha- everything doesn't have to be perfect when it goes in. They can, of course, work through this, the material as well and, and help help fit it into the categories that the Royal Commission is is looking at. Uh, but the advocates will help uh, just get things into some practical kind of order. They they will then, especially if the person is that the experiencing that, um, you know, being triggered in some way from, uh, you know, back to those past experiences, then the advocates will, be re- will refer them to uh, either through the counselling and referral service or to the frontline sort of on the ground counseling services so that they people can get that professional counseling support while the advocates focus on the more practical task and the other the other element that the advocates may also do is there's there's another parallel support system which is called the your story legal service your and and that's funded through attorney general's department and that provides a very specific legal advice for people who are writing those submissions in case they sometimes they want to um they want to, they might want to name an individual or a, a person in charge of a system or something or an organization and there may be legal reasons why they they should get some advice take some advice as to whether it's potentially that there's potentially defamation uh that could happen there and people just it's not that they can't name somebody if they want to it's just that they need to get some legal advice and sometimes people if if they've been through previous processes they might have a they might have signed a non-disclosure agreement previously so there there are a set of reasons why people might need some legal advice and the advocates will do that sort of intermediary support to help the person uh, connect with the your your story legal support and sit with the person while they hear that and 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 all of that it sometimes means, Kathy. I think you mentioned this as well. 
that there might be quite a lot of work done with someone and they still might decide, actually, no, I'm not going to. I don't, I don't want to tell my story. I don't want to have it publicly. I don't want it to be public. So they, that, that not everybody will go right through the process and tell their story to the Royal Commission. Lots of people are, um, but some people will still pull back from that, actually, even quite a long way into the process. And, and of course, they have the right absolutely to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to explore with both of you, audience listening to us right now, uh, saying this is all sounding good, but I really need to make that decision the best appropriate person, the best set of ears who's going to work with me. I'm hearing there are counsellors and I'm hearing there's advocates. When you respond to this, please, I want to also touch and weave the fact both counselling and advocacy has an intake process. And when I say intake, that means that first phone call, that first email, and that's probably the hardest one because that's where you get that connection about do I go any further? So, and I'm, I'm making this really hard for both of you, I also want to weave in people without the voice, people who have verbal um, challenges and how counselling models, social work models, how is advocacy models, respecting the fact that these are the anxiousness that goes on before you start to tell your story. I think, well, firstly, this comes down to a person's choice and also the fact that it's not necessarily going to be one or the other. I think, you know, certainly we find that people ringing the National Council and Referral Service have many, many needs and desires. And, you know, it's often not a matter of, you know, referring on or, you know, making a what we call a warm transport for getting another service on the line and connecting the person up, but understanding what the range of different needs are and people exploring them with support over time to find who they feel safe with who they trust and who can help them with whatever is their particular need in the moment. So, you know, and we're certainly finding that, yes, Mary, I agree totally, you guys are the doers and you you do an amazing job and, you know, you are advocacy services are very trusted, you know, and appropriately so in the sector and over time have built that trust over a long period of time. And I think that's very critical because, you know, certainly anyone who's experienced trauma has been very profoundly betrayed. And, you know, being able to feel and be safe and to trust is absolutely bottom line. And, you know, so it's not a a question of, you know, necessarily choosing which service but just finding where you find the initial place of trust and then having someone who can walk alongside you as you explore the other options. Mary, I'm sure you've got a lot more to, to add to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Cathy. Well, John, I'll, I'll go to your um, the issue about people, people without the voice, I think was, was the term you used. And so, yes, of course, there are people who, who literally may not be able to 
speak in any way, but that doesn't mean they, they can't communicate, but they may not have a, a literal voice to, to talk about what's happened to them. They may be able to communicate through other means and and the advocate's role will be to make sure that that person is given every communication support they need, whether it's, you know, devices that they normally use or, or whatever supports can be can be found so that person's story can be told. Uh, now, that might be, be that it is a person who can only indicate with their eyes a yes or no and that that story can be elicited in a way by framing questions with yes or no answers. And advocates do that kind of work anyway at other times around advocacy issues. So it is it is possible to do that and that, that is what advocates will be doing. The One of the difficulties will be uh, is that whether those people, that, that, those, that particular cohort of people who whose communication, who have complex communication needs, is whether that many of those people live in quite constrained surroundings. They live in residential support, sort of surrounded in the in the service system. So one of the problems will be whether they are actually being told and hearing about the Royal Commission and that they have got this opportunity. So advocates are working to try and get to those people in the first place to make sure they understand that the Royal Commission is on, that that's one of the, the critical parts. One of the other things, though, that that, um, that you've prompted me to think about when you asked that question is, you know, what, what this Royal Commission, this Royal Commission is a culmination of years and years of advocacy to get this, for people to have this opportunity to tell about the violence, abuse, neglect and, and exploitation that they've experienced. Some people have died before their story, before they themselves have the opportunity and that to tell their story. That includes quite a lot of people who lived for years and years in the big institutions in Australia. So Australia is one of the countries in the world that has done a lot to um, shutting down most of the big institutions where people with disability were placed um, some of them as children. Most of them have, have now shut down in Australia and, and people are living in smaller settings, some of which still are quite institutionalised, but they're not in the big in the big settings that people think of as institutions. But so some of those people, and, and especially people I'm thinking of who were part of the self-advocacy movement that grew up as part of the disability rights movement, some of those people were very active and there are there are some film clips, some recordings, some written stories or, uh, that those people told as they took those steps out of institutions. And so those stories will be told through advocacy and representative organisations who will write in submissions to the Royal Commission about that history of what happened to people and using telling those stories in the form of examples and case studies so that that history isn't forgotten and those people's voices still are heard. Wow. I'm just going to go, wow. Both lovely pieces of commentary for both of you. And I hope our audience is enjoying the So Podcast episode on this really important topic. Mary, you've prompted once again for me, yes, those people who are no longer with us. and But however, it's those memories that has brought this to attention now and we all know the things that weren't working well, but they now have a stage where this conversation can be heard. 
So we're talking counselling, we're talking advocacy and the benefits of uh, families and people with disabilities. It's amazing. I'd like to perhaps close this very shortly and hoping that each of you could give me your thoughts on, after listening to this episode, what are their next steps? They might even be a witness, by the way. They may not be something that's affected them, but they know of another family that's got some things going on. It's really a putting the Disability Royal Commission aside because that in itself is a stigma because it sounds big and scary. What I'm hearing right now is when we've got counselling and advocacy working together and professionals who are really good at listening to stories, I think that's the piece of gold for me anyway as a person with disabilities that we're hearing now. It's, it's okay to talk. So quick question to both of you. For people listening, how do they basically approach this topic? How do they, you know, if you want to go and help someone and tell them, you may not talk about the Royal Commission, you may just talk about, are there any issues? Do you, did you know that you have advocacy and you have counselling that's out there to help? I'll go to you first, Cathy. Look, I think, you know, something I did want to say is that the National Counselling and Referral Service also supports people who, you know, are deciding that they're not going to engage with the Royal Commission, but that they have experiences of trauma um, and living with disability. And so I think it's very important to know that there are there is help and there is support and, you know, to, to know that there are places where you will be heard and listened to and believed and that if you reach out, there is someone there to support you and to walk alongside you and that, you know, there are possibilities for a better future uh, with that support. I think it's very important to, to hold on the hope. I'm not, this is not to negate the barriers that people experience but to say that, you know, we know that people can and do better with the right support. And I think when services are working together and, you know, what we are seeing in Australia now is that, you know, we're finally talking about issues that have long been buried and long been steeped in stigma and discrimination and secrecy, not saying it's magically all going to go away, but, you know, we are making steps towards some, some real change. Thank you, Cathy. And Mary, closing comments. Yeah, so I, one a, a thing that um, that I think is very important about the support that's been provided around this Disability Royal Commission is that there's up until now there's been almost no counselling available for people with significant disabilities. There just hasn't been. It hasn't been funded by governments. It just hasn't been available, and perhaps even the expertise in the counselling services hasn't been there because they haven't been working with people with disability. So because that there's now some funding available through this process of the, this support system, advocates are able to refer the people who are coming through for this, this type of advocacy support. They can refer them now to counsellors to help them work through that sort of backlog of the trauma they've experienced and um, that that's that's a novelty, to be honest. It's a new thing, and it's going to be really interesting as this as this these few years uh, happen 
to see that there will be people who, Kathy's described it in a beautiful way about people feeling supported and someone walking alongside them and that they, there's hope for healing because what's tended to happen in the past is the, the other way of dealing with things, which is squashing them, putting them to one side, avoiding thinking about them, not dealing with them. That's how most people with disability that advocates work with are incredibly resilient very strong people who, but who deal with the, the bad things by just putting them in a box, you know, and leaving them there. And this, this new funded opportunity to have people able to try and come to grips with and deal properly with some of that, uh, that, that the past trauma is, is new and exciting. And we're really looking forward to being able to see and, and, and find out from people and from the counsellors about the benefits of that. Uh, the advocates will keep doing their job of, of working away and, and uh, you know, getting things done for people and, and as well as, you know, getting the submissions into the Royal Commission, the advocates are also able to do some of the other practical advocacy tasks that are required at the same time where they have capacity to do it, that they are doing some of that as well. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really pleased that the government responded to not just funding the Royal Commission, but funding these, this support that sits around people. And, and yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be part of that. Very good. We are going to call this a wrap. It's been a lovely conversation. My name's John McKenna from Soap Podcast. We've been talking to Barry Ballot, CEO of Disability Advocacy Network. And Kathy, I think I might have not pronounced your surname properly at the start. I apologize for that. Help me, please. That's all right. Kesselman and uh, any variations, fine. <laughs> Very good. And Kathy, you're from, of course, the Blue Knot Foundation. I'd like to remind everybody that this episode is available on my website, johnmckenna.com.au. Soon it will be available in transcript. I want to once again remind people if there's any topics that have triggered concern for people, there are some great supports out there. Of course, we have the Blue Knot Foundation. We have Lifeline and Beyond Blue. My name's John McKenna, and thank you, Kathy and Mary, for coming on to the Soap Podcast. Thanks very much, John. Bye.